Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence. All right. Welcome back. Today, we are very privileged to have Maya Sherman. She's a luminary in AI policy research and ethical technology implementation. Her work has traversed corporate research, government landscapes. She's a member of the Scientific Council at the Israeli Association of Ethics and AI and a board member at Fidutum. Is that how you pronounce it, mine? Fidutum, yes. Fidutum, okay. She currently is shaping digital transformation strategies, including AI in India. There she's working with the American Indian Foundation. Maya's global perspective is both unique and vital. Her scholarly pursuits at the prestigious Oxford Internet Institute and prolific authorship, including her seminal work on AI governance, render her an authoritative voice on AI's present and future implications. Welcome to the show, Maya. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's just dive in. Obviously, you have pretty extensive experience thinking through the issues of AI in government and how that affects policy. So just kind of give us a general overview of your take and where you see us today. So I would say that we are seeing a very interesting, I would say, evolution of AI, especially because it's not a new phenomenon. We've had AI for quite a while, but the fact that ChatGPT has expanded to what we're seeing today has raised all of a sudden some of the questions that in the past actually existed but did not get enough place. So in many senses, this digital saturation of, of AI, the exposure of audiences, led to very interesting discussion that we're seeing today. Some of them, of course, related to the fact that more users know what AI is and what it can bring to the table. But on the other hand, there are opportunities that are also risks. And this is something that we are currently discussing. I would say that the primary topics today that we're seeing when it comes to the regulation of AI, the way we're seeing it today, will definitely relate, first of all, to the future of work. If in the past, sci-fi and other movies tried to say that humans will be replaced by AI, today this concern slightly increases because we're seeing more and more skills being able to being completely possessed by AI. So what does it mean about us as humans? So there are a lot of discussions about this topic, but I would say that the second and more interesting topic that has been there for quite a while and usually erupts when there are crises all over the world is everything connected to content generation, content moderation, and disinformation. And this is something that crosses sectors, businesses, perceptions, as we can see disinformation in elections, we can see this information in conflicts. We can see them in our day-to-day -day lives and uh, pandemic. So these, are, I would say, probably the two more interesting policy aspects that are being discussed today and have a lot of gray areas to be analyzed and explored. Yeah. And then we've heard a lot about those issues. I'm wondering also, like, what are the discussions you're seeing around the positive aspects of AI, where they can do something, you know, to help government deliver services? I feel like that conversation doesn't get as much play, right? I completely agree. I think that usually what we're seeing with some technology that are newer than 
we are kind of seeing this preventive approach rather than seeing also the opportunities that it brings. And I think that first and foremost, ChatGPT supports the mitigation of the digital divide. The fact that AI is known today by businesses, NGOs, the fact that today, if in the past I used to discuss about AI transformation and AI tools mainly with scholars and technical personnel, so today we are seeing much more NGO, businesses, government services, all willing to take part in this evolution. So this is probably one of the biggest agents of change. And this is a huge thing, probably in terms of its significance, it's giving a digital chance for everyone to be part of the upcoming discussions and also being able to get positions. I would say that today, if we're thinking of the benefits of AI, and of course there are disadvantages, but they've been highly discussed, the positive aspects are immense, especially when we're speaking about overcoming the existing loopholes of humans when it comes to working style. If today in certain positions we are limited in our scope and scale, we are more prone to do certain errors. Using AI can actually help us be our better self. And this is a perception that perhaps is not as common because people will try and say, oh, human will just be replaced. Rather than saying, if humans properly collaborate with this external agent, with this artificial intelligence technologies, we can actually be much better workers, provide much better outputs, much more high quality, and reduce the time. So I think that there is a significant change to the way we work. It will require adjustment on our side because we will need to learn more digital skills. But this is a great opportunity for us to upscale the way that we're currently doing. And in addition to that, I think that, first of all, this crosses cultures. AI as a language is something that is not being discussed. And it's true that today we are seeing more linguistic biases, but the potential of having more digital tools that can interact between countries, that can help people do things in different locations, which I think is the main core of certain technologies, is a great opportunity for us to, first of all, create more collaborations, having more countries involved, creating more collaboration between governments, as we are currently seeing in Europe, specifically in the UK, with, of course, with the different summits and regulations. Not every topic and every innovative approach will bring these discussions to the table. But AI, due to its scope, actually brings to some very interesting geopolitical opportunities, as I see it. So it definitely should be seen for the positive aspect as well. Mm. And so you mentioned there the digital divide being bridged by AI. Say a little bit more about what specifically AI does in that arena. I would say this is, of course, as most think in AI have some ambiguous outputs because some people will say that AI actually has some biases. So actually we'll see much more racist outputs because they are still created by humans. But in many ways, the fact that users today have much more accessible approach to AI, can use interface of ChatGPT wherever they want using their mobile phone rather than having a sophisticated algorithm. This is something that is new. So if people in the past thought the digital divide is all about the alienation of certain populations of certain audiences from digital innovation, the fact that we're seeing so many users today speaking that language using this, this is probably the best testimony for how digital transformation looks like when we have the masses trying to get exposed. There are some obstacles on the way, but even the fact that we are seeing linguistic 
barriers and sociocultural biases gives more awareness and also more preparedness to work on this kind of issues. So I've been researching the digital divide for, I would say, several years. And to me, I find generative AI to be one of the more interesting agents promoting its mitigation simply because we have much more people involved. And if we will be able to moderate some of the risks and actually put the right safeguards, I believe that we'll see a much more digitally oriented generation knowing how to use ChatGPT across cultures, across languages. And this is, I would say, a pretty significant milestone for the tech ecosystem. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if you've seen the study that Boston Consulting Group did with Harvard. They kind of did a mocked up case study on a shoe company, I believe, and did a consulting engagement. They had actually ranked the consultants before on their performance measures before they did this project. And then they ranked how each one performed. And the biggest result was that the lowest performing consultants, you know, had been ranked the lowest performing before their performance was almost matched the top performing consultants. And so the real benefit seemed to be to bring the bottom up to the top. And the top actually didn't benefit all that much. It was just a few percentage points. But it does seem that these technologies have the opportunity to take people who've been either marginalized or they don't have the skills or they don't have the training or some capability. And these generative AI tools can kind of bring them up to a different performance level. In the same time, you will see there are many discussions of actually those that are in the more simpler positions. For instance, everyone in the design area and the more repetitive actions in terms of professions, they are pretty much afraid of their profession, understanding that everything connected to automated generation can actually be a pretty strong competitor to their work with pretty much low cost. So I think that the positive aspect is, of course, it brings people to be in a, as you said, to a more equal position in terms of skills. But in the same time, some professions will definitely have to go through adaptation. Content writing, journalism, design, painting, all new fields that will have to redefine themselves, I believe, in this era. Yeah, exactly. So how do you see governments then approaching? So, you know, one of the early pieces of regulation was coming out of the EU, which I guess is stalled at this point. UK has looked at regulation. United States has done some, you know, the administration just did their executive order. What's your take on how governments have approached AI regulation so far? So I think that what we're currently seeing is a crucial involvement of governments. Governments should be part of this discussion. It's something that I think even if AI wasn't as commonly spread before. Currently, we are seeing this discussion on the table. I would say that there are still pretty substantial geopolitical interests when it comes to the AI arms race, in terms of which country will take first the lead of AI. Not all countries regulate the same. Not all countries have the same goals when it comes to digital sovereignty. I think that EU and UK are definitely leading the way to pave a more rigorous, a more responsible way of developing AI. In terms of how successful will the government role be, I think that currently we still need to see much more policy prototyping, policy testing. And again, I think that in the end, all the summits and the discussions about regulation, first of all, it brings the awareness of the audiences, which also have, I would say, pretty significant implication and significance. Sometimes people don't think of it, but 
the fact that governments took AI as part of their agenda is already significant alone. I would say in terms of what governments should do, I tend to believe that all the discussions about AI and disinformation and how to try and make responsible AI in a way that won't prevent it completely from still being developed, these are complex discussions that have been around for a while. I think that when it comes to the government trying to reach, again, establishing common standards on more specific scenarios of user conduct with AI, it's something that we should see, meaning more situational scenarios of AI and how different users should approach them, having a consensus of countries. Now, this consensus is critical but complex because, of course, we have the linguistic barriers, we have the biases, we have the political context of each country. But I will still say a caveat saying that we have had a pretty strong record of universal AI guidelines. We have enough data sets and knowledge of AI in certain situations. So we can definitely try to reach this kind of areas and at least try to tackle certain disciplines, understanding how AI should be regulated. For instance, I will say that everything connected to candidate recruitment, especially with the aid of COVID, I'm suspecting to see much more consensus around policies in this area because it's a very structured discipline. So I think that we are on the right track and governments should take an active part. They should also involve the audience, having them aware of the decision-making, having them being more involved in the consortium, again, trying to see how policy prototyping and testing look like, if you can understand a bit more what are the implications of certain steps, what will be the adoption rate, trying to understand the different and more critical perspectives to certain policies enacted. But I would definitely try to say, again, summing up my statement, that we should try and promote more AI-driven policies and moderation in areas and disciplines that are more structured and can have more consensus across countries. Currently, it's being broadened and there are more universal guidelines, but I would say these are like the easy wins towards a greater goal, in a sense. Interesting. I like that idea that the more structured a place is, the easier. Let, well, let's take the low-hanging fruit here. I do worry a bit about, you know, if we had a similar discussion about personal computers in 1980, I'm sure there are a lot of people working on paper spreadsheets that were worried about their jobs, right? And I don't think we have less people working in the accounting or finance profession today. They just don't do their stuff with pencils on a spreadsheet. So I do worry that governments prioritize their current stakeholders, right? And the future isn't at the table. The future jobs aren't there. So any ideas from you about how we can keep government focused on you know, the real problems and maybe not so much protectionist measures to try to, you know, ossify current state of affairs. I think that that's a pretty notable concern. I think that the good thing is that the generation will be replaced, meaning I got to explore the cross-generational gaps in public service when it comes to digital orientation. And of course, the younger the public servant is, the more inclined they are to working on more digital tools and being more exposed to emerging technologies. I would say that despite the more preventive and I would say cautious perspective in cases of the EU and the UK when it comes to AI development, currently with the very vast spread of ChatGPT, we have already a pretty strong audience that uses 
AI as part of their day-to-day lives. And I think this will bring enough pressure on the policymakers to act forward. So, of course, we cannot change all the existing working patterns and trying to force everyone to work toward generative AI. Now, I'm currently working in an organization, of course, that has been used to semi-manual working approach. So it's all about the change management as well. I would say that the pressure and the bottom-up processes that we're seeing with generative AI will require governments to act toward AI as a default rather than something that they can prevent. So even if we're currently seeing some objections, I tend to believe that as time progresses, we will see more developments of ChatGPT. Governments won't have much option but to understand how AI is still part of the equation because it already is. So this, again, these are initial obstacles that I tend to believe the governments will have no option but addressing them properly and they cannot just take them off completely, which is good and bad. I guess good for those who see this as an opportunity and bad for those that are just not aware of how AI can actually benefit with them or they're not exposed enough to what it can bring. Yeah, that's like the quote, science advances one funeral at a time, right? Maybe one retirement at a time, to put a nicer point on it. So that's fascinating. So, I mean, the other thing I'd like to see is maybe like five times more work on how do governments use this to benefit their citizens than, hey, let's protect you from it, right? Yeah, I agree that the government has a role there, but like, I don't get the sense that the summits are spending five times more time on how to benefit citizens. I would say it's an interesting geopolitical discussion on how the EU and the UK has addressed digital innovation. Did they actually try to promote the use or most of the discussion has been so dystopian that we needed ChatGPT to actually make this much more relevant? So AI has been here for so many years and still only by people using it are we almost forcing the governments to discuss it and see how it can be involved. But I would say that there is a more concrete question of which role do we want the governments to play? If AI is kind of a default factor in our life, governments in their core, I guess from what we've seen till now, have always tried to be more protective, saying the, I would say, the safety of their own political interest in a sense, and other considerations connected, of course, to the welfare of citizens. But I would say that the regulation has to be the bad guy, the one that don't allow users to do whatever they want in a sense. So there is a balance. Because we cannot live in, in a completely chaotic workspace for tech because there are some risks. I wouldn't say that the government should let us do whatever we want. And there are different approaches to how regulation should be enacted. If it's, again, self-regulation, something more semi-related to the government involvement or having a fully involved government. I think that the world is still going on this range. There are different approaches to this. I would say that South Asia is taking a very interesting approach, trying to see how AI can be promoted more bottom-up, letting the organizations to experiment also because we need to see more linguistic adaptability in a sense. Europe is taking a more interesting approach on setting the first pillars, the first guidelines, establishing digital sovereignty in a way that the users will be still protected, understanding that there are other processes that might be sometimes harmed. It's definitely an interesting time to see how governments are addressing this. And I think that we as users definitely have a say on how the future discussions will look like. So even if right now we are seeing a much more cautious and preventive approach to some of the things, it's mainly because 
the exposure is so big right now. The usage, the adoption rates, these are things that are unprecedented and will definitely put more pressure on governments to see how can they move from being overprotective, as I see it, to slightly more moderate in understanding how AI is actually part of our life rather than completely excluded. Yeah, that's great. So you are in India right now to celebrate at Diwali. So tell us a little bit about how India is approaching AI at this point. So India is probably one of the more interesting players in my eyes, and that's where one of the reasons I relocated to this country. India offers one of the more rigorous digital public infrastructures due to the size of the population. We are seeing actually incredible digital adoption rates with digital payments. So even actually across generations, across areas, technology is actually a pretty strong part. There are, of course, things that should be improved and things that perhaps can be worked upon. But I would say that India has done such a magnificent work on digital orientation, digital public infrastructure, involving the entire citizens and populations in part of digital innovation. So it definitely looks, again, a much more enabling country, trying to test what digital innovation should look like. We have, of course, the Silicon Valleys of India, in, in, in Bangalore, Mumbai, and in Delhi, also Gurgaon, where I'm currently. So it's definitely cities that are leading everything connected to tech innovation and seeing the way that the government has launched so many interesting digital projects that are encompassing more than a billion people in terms of population. It's a very different approach to what we're seeing in other countries. And again, someone I've always researched the sociocultural aspects of innovation. That's what I've done in Oxford and broadly speaking. So India is taking a very interesting role. And I tend to believe that India will have a very significant role in the design of AI, not from the preventive side necessarily, but more from the angle of masses being exposed to technology. Hopefully AI adoption will increase as well. There are still obstacles, of course, in terms of operations. But it's definitely an interesting counter to some of the discussions we are seeing in Europe and other places. So I think, again, for all tech practitioners, it's always good to be exposed to different views of what AI can be for citizens and what digital transformation can be. So there is a very big openness for AI and digital transformation in the country. Excellent. And you had said, really, the regulatory stance of the government is really hands off, right? Let's promote this. And so it's really a contrast to the conversations going on here and in Europe. Is that correct? So in India, because, again, in many ways, the adoption of AI has come slightly later after Europe. So we're seeing that there is still place for testing, for manufacturing, for developing air-driven services. And based on that, trying to create the aligned policies and regulation. It looks like it's still being tested and implemented to try and see what can be the user adoption. So it looks, again, from a more aware decision of empowering the country using AI and understanding what it can be benefited from. So the way I see it, it's AI is given a much greater opportunity to be empowered and be part of people's lives. There are, of course, I would say good sides and, and downsides to each approach. But here, again, because of the mass scale of the population, this kind of approach and the, generally speaking, the digital saturation and adoption that are being led by the government projects are definitely fascinating. It will be very interesting to see where India will take this in terms of user empowerment, the accessibility to digital services, 
the understanding of some new digital skills. And of course, in India, it's, it's a very broad population. There are different regions. So the sociocultural gap is something that should be addressed, especially when it comes to the number of languages spoken and a lot of the things that we are discussing on with AI. Yeah, it'd be a fascinating. I mean, what I see you talking about is sort of this broad spectrum of approaches and we can kind of learn. It's nice to have a variety of approaches because we can kind of see India trying to do services at scale, you know, a huge population promoting adoption. So maybe they're going to be a little bit more out in front on the experimental side. And then maybe Europe is showing what regulation results in, right? And so maybe we get some learnings about, oh, this regulation worked, that didn't, you know, and those could be adopted and the U.S. is somewhere in between. So it's nice to have that spectrum of different efforts so we can kind of learn from all of them over time. Definitely. I think it's a good balance for us as well, as it's still new. And each country brings different opportunities and obstacles. And currently, that's why I think that sometimes air adoption is much more sociocultural than technological in a way, because the interpretation of governments, the understanding of what policy should look like, definitely varies across different political actors. So there is no right and wrong. It's much more about seeing how different governments will choose to put AI in relation to their citizens. And also, especially in, perhaps in relation to other players out there, and especially concerning the AI arms race, which is there and it still exists when it comes to digital sovereignty and supremacy. So definitely pivotal years for AI and it would be very interesting to see this range between the more strict regulation to the more lenient one, understanding that there is rationale behind each and each country may need a different context and a different need for the citizen. So it's a different discussion for what AI should serve in our life. It's a polite way of putting it, but you voted with your feet, right, Maya? Yeah. You're in India, not in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made the right choice just for my tech. Well, thanks so much for being on today. It was a great perspective. I think the real takeaways are this, you know, spectrum of different approaches that we're going to all learn from. And I took away to this, I think my new line is going to be, can we do five times more to promote and use AI than regulate it? But we got to regulate it. But, you know, that's a great learning and good luck with the work in India. It sounds fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time and speaking today. AI Government and the Future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com and then make sure to search for AI Government Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, Thanks for listening.